Hello again, everybody. Welcome back to this week's episode of Move, Breathe, Live. It's me again. It's Wibbs. I'm back and I'm bringing you someone who um, he's a legend in his field. Um, obviously, before we do get started, just remember that there is a, a little bit of uh, profanity throughout the episode. So if you are somewhere in which you're listening with your kids or something you might just want to put your headphones in um i'm trying to get better at it trying to swear less but um sometimes it just slips out and other people just do the same so um just the quick heads up so anyway today's legend is barefoot ted uh barefoot ted is an endurance athlete a barefoot endurance athlete you could say most famous for his part he played in the book born to run by Christopher McDougall. If you haven't read that, it is well worth a read. It's kind of a fascinating book. Um, so yeah, Barefoot Ted, what it would mean, he's a whirlwind. <laughs> he has so much to say about so many things and he maybe likes to talk more than me, which is amazing because as you know, I do love to chat. So I'm not going to go into anything. I'm going to let him just paint his pictures and he has a zest for life which i think we could all do with a big chunk of um it's just yeah i loved it it was so good talking to him it's a slightly longer episode about an hour and 20 rather than an hour so apologies for that but hopefully you will enjoy it and hopefully it will maybe give you i don't know a bit of a a want to go and have a read of uh, born to run because he's plays a big part in that maybe it will just give you a bit of a want to explore the idea of being barefoot and being maybe in some sandals to run in and the fact that we don't need high technology trainers and maybe you'll just enjoy it and the fact that he's just a living legend so anyway enough chat hope you'll have a wonderful day um, as always please do remember to go and like subscribe rate review all of that jazz and um We'll see you very, very soon. Um, still got some great episodes ahead and more uh, on the cards to be recorded. So, yeah, just stay, stay, uh, stay focused. No, stay, stay with us, whatever the word is. Anyway, I'll shut up. Crack on, enjoy your day, listen to this in the sun, and I'll see you all very soon. So, dude, we're yeah. very blessed people. That's we are. I mean, and, I yeah, mean it, there's so many of them. And now it's like I mean, there's the no point. doubt it's better. You should see what it was like. Oh, I mean that. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. You're a bit older a than me. Other but world. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but at the same time, I mean, maybe we can dive into this a bit as well, and maybe uh, it can. It'll actually um, uh, bookend maybe a little bit of how how you've kind of come to where you are, I guess. But um, oh yeah. Uh, but yeah, before we, I'll make a note of that because I'll uh, if I can find a pen. I think I'll... it's a good. It's a you know I've been using. You know, personal archaeology is a great tool of discovery, right? I mean, you've got this, you're housed in this extremely complex piece of operational hardware that, you know, you are given full experimental control over without signing paperwork. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're at the spear end of like innumerable numbers of interactions and outcomes. And you're still riding that inertia. And it's a wave to ride or it's a destructive force cramming you into nothingness. And I like riding waves. Well, I mean, you're lucky that you live where you do because uh, I live 
where I do, and there is definitely no waves to ride, which is kind of well. Like... Hold on now, hold on, <laughs> hold on. I'm using this metaphorically. Oh no, I'm I using know, but this metaphorically. I, I also so... like to ride those waves. I would also, from my yeah. experience of riding real waves, I'd love yeah. to do that more as well. <laughs> Absolutely, and I mean, I think that fundamental. What I'm, my personal archaeology is discovering how extraordinarily important the boom in beach culture was for all of us. Yeah, yeah. It has a history. It has characters. And it has uh, a momentum, inertia, and value. And that, my personal archaeology is getting into that mm -hmm. and realizing that what surf culture gave us is something extremely powerful. I mean, I, yeah. hard to look at and analogize life as being very much a destructive wave that's going to wipe you out or mm -hmm. the greatest possible ride and some new ways to express what it means to be human on this ongoing burgeoning endless cloud of wave that comes at us continuously. So it's like, it's your choice. Both things are going to happen. You're going to serve sometimes when you didn't want to, you know, <laughs> you're just getting carried along, but the more intentional and the more skill, skillful means mm -hmm. you gain, to be on that platform of you in that nexus of now, writing that in a way, in any situation, everywhere. That's what surfing teaches us. There is a way. Yeah. And sometimes you got to go find different ways. Let's yeah. face it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But if you find a good spot, what, what beach culture tells us is the good places in the world. If you arrive there basically in your birthday suit, you're already overdressed and all the good shit's happening now. So beach culture does that so well, right? And I mean, so I like that. have gravitated to that space and here I am, one of them. Well, perfect. Well, I mean, we might as well just, um, you know, throw it out there. I mean, what I'll do is I'll, uh, well, I'll just chuck it over to you, I reckon, and I'll let you introduce yourself just briefly as, you know, say who you are. And then, because um, obviously I know who you are, but we'll let others let find out who you are. And then we'll... Um, yeah, I'll, I'll maybe just briefly briefly tell you about me and then we'll kind of pick apart some thoughts and philosophies and processes of life, I guess. <laughs> oh, I like it. This is this is my kind of uh, this is my kind of style. I like it. I like what I'm hearing. Yeah. Yeah. Lead on. Tell me what to do. I'm here. Well, I mean, you are Barefoot Ted, obviously, and um Obviously, some of us will know you from a book called Born to Run, but you've obviously there's more there's more to you than just that. So fill us in. You're obviously wearing your lunar t-shirt as well. So oh yeah, I got my lunar. I, I, so I, I want you to tell us a bit about that today as well. Ted, yeah, yeah. There's that. So the book Born to Run. Let's face it. It's a. It's been an incredibly interesting read for anybody. Basically, it's an incredibly for many, many people, it's the first time they're confronted with the idea that they might have been born into a species that has some superpowers under the hood that were going unexpressed because un, un, either misunderstood or misapplied. And um, what I'm referring to is just in the book Born to Run, we meet some characters in there. One is Dr. Daniel Lieberman, an evolutionary biologist at Harvard University, who is part of an ongoing, you know, uh, uh, attempt, you know, everlasting attempt of trying to understand um, the foundations of Homo sapiens sapiens, our species supposedly, right? And 
the recognition that one capacity that human beings have is this long distance running capacity. Um, I think that's been sort of, um, uh, you know, now it's a craze. It turned into a craze. Like everybody suddenly wanted to run further and further and more and more and including barefoot. And that's kind of the story I get introduced in this book as barefoot Ted. And, and, and that's ties into the surf history and the skateboard history and California history where it's not on you. You know, when I'm growing up in the seventies, my favorite clothing is called hang 10. It's too, it's like, I need the, you know, the status symbol of two golden embroidered feet on my shirt in order to end, you know, and even with a working class mom, single yeah. family mom working, you know, I could, I could afford to have California made hang 10 t-shirt with two gold because the feet in the seventies and still even to this day somehow represent this natural connection, the interface between you and the world. And my goodness, you know, the foot is, an extraordinarily complex and wonderful, yep, piece of equipment. I got one too. Yeah, My parents were kind enough, you know, very kind. Grubby. And incredibly, you know, and people would say, so Barefoot Ted, what's your favorite shoe? And I'd say, give me something that has like this real-time interface with brain body, nanotechnology for self-repair and healing, you know, kind of like all this gets better with use kind of situation. And, you know, that really is in so many cases, the foot. So I got I got introduced in this as this character who had been sort of um, extrapolating from the concept if we indeed are evolved on this planet and we are the um, let's say apex hunter in this case a concept called persistence hunting which allows our ancestors even today there's people in people in the world I mean it's becoming more and more obscure because there's so many better ways to access food but our ancestors had the capacity in their default equipment, i.e. just their body, no admixture of anything, coming up with ways to, you know, chase down an 800 pound animal and, you know, two to five hours later, uh, after 18 to 32 miles, you have, uh, you have just, and, and, and with strategic hunting skills, you have run down an animal without even a, uh, without even a, a, a weapon, and have been able to feed a family of, let's say, 30 people for a month. Yeah. It's a pretty damn good, you know, that is one hell of a good, one guy can do that. Yeah, know, yeah. One guy. But he's a master. And so we have underlying all the hardware is this story. We have this. So I started playing in my own way. It didn't seem that counterintuitive for somebody growing up in California mm -hmm. in the 60s and 70s. I mean, literally cross-country teams in Southern California back in the 60s, if you look at the yearbooks, they'll be barefoot. They were yeah, being yeah. influenced by people like Herb Elliott, an Australian barefooter who became popular in the United States on the cover of Sports Magazine. So getting back to those fundamentals for me when I was approaching kind of like a deadline of 40 years to solve this mystery for myself back in the day, yeah, barefooting became like, oh, maybe there's something here that I need to re-examine since I had already had some capacity here. Yeah. So the book Born to Run uses me as a real character, let's say, who did this experimenting and at the same time dovetailing it to these new understandings of human capacities that exist as a primary functional state for the, let's say, our species in general. Yeah. Combining those two in a character became what I got. And that sort of opened up a whole new world that I think not only 
invaded and, and ended up expressing a lot in the, in the running world where you started seeing more minimalist footwear or natural foot and so forth and so on, including the five finger shoe, which had, and all of that, but also all these new other shoots that began for the first time to really begin to extrapolate or at least play with the idea. If I was evolved on planet X mm -hmm. and there was, these are the ideas of what was available and this is how people did this and that and the other. And then, you know, you've got this highly successful being that's developed out of all of those experiments. And then you realize, oh, if you have a beautiful hunting dog and you put it in four, a four, you know, by, you know, tiny little room and you give it some kind of porridge made out of, you know, look, we're going to, I don't care if you got a Lamborghini and you put shit in it and you don't drive it and it's not tuned up, that thing is as good as nothing. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah. Many, many of us find ourselves suddenly sitting on our butt, typing on a computer going, why do I not feel? And then suddenly you realize it's just this huge nature deficit, you know, yeah. literally the hardware and the software is designed to be having a lots of different things to be working on. Like a vital system is basically like a vaccine ma manufacturing unit. It's like continuously mm. at war and actually with things that are other than it that are bad. Yeah, yeah. And it turns out when you don't have any of those, you start attacking yourself. It's a yeah. terrible <laughs> autoimmune disorders. It's like insane. And the same with not getting enough time where you're spacious, you're breathing, you're outdoors, you're touching the ground. So getting people even to add a tiny little bit more has become what Barefoot Ted ends up being a symbol for. Yeah, and we've yeah. seen all these new, you know, it's like we're having our own moment in history where innumerable numbers of people are regaining this insight and, and or have finally justifying this insight in their own behavior up until now. Yeah. And I think there's a lot better when suddenly people realize there's simple things I can do. Primary simple things that will benefit me greatly breathing the cold, getting, getting some nature and all these. And I've, you know, just looking at your Instagram, obviously you're doing all of those and encouraging others. And so we are in a boom of that and I want to see more and more. Why not? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so just briefly, I mean, I've been barefoot now for like, I mean, I literally am barefoot. I mean, I'm in England, so I'm not as lucky as you because, you know, our winters are pretty rank, but I'll be on barefoot from February, March through until November, like partly due to laziness. I will be honest, because most of the time I can't be asked to put a pair of shoes on. But, uh, you know, I've just I've become more and more adapted to it. And it's just one of those things, you know, I've, I started nearly 10 years ago now with well, more than that with some Vibrams. That was the first thing I came across of some five fingers. And I kind of liked the idea because everyone hated them. Like everyone, I when I wore them, everyone was like, that's <laughs> fucking weird. What are you wearing? There's a, they, weird. Don't wear them. And so I kind of liked that about them. But, um, you know, since then it's just gone on and on and on. And I've just kind of got to the stage I'm always barefoot these days. But you obviously in the book, uh, and you just mentioned it, but with the Vibrams, you you were like the first guy to really take what was supposed to, was it going to be a sail shoe or something like a, a basically a deck shoe and turn it into something else? That's right. You know, it's, well, the great, the, the cool story about it is something along the lines of, first of all, Vibram was just, you know, it's well known 
in the United States. We call it Vibram here. You know, you yeah, probably yeah. know that maybe. Yeah. But anyway, it became well known as like these people care about trying to create good stuff. You yeah, know? yeah. So and I was in my own trajectory at that time was back to this idea of trying to like, you know, self-experimentation and trying to really understand what is it that we have as default capacities? What are what are our capacities in, you know, without any admixture? And then um, I was in that, at that moment, I was, so I was experimenting with barefooting and I was also very, very fascinated by what I like to call the natural selection of footwear in human cultures, where you have peoples who, you know, their goal for footwear isn't any kind of junk science or mass marketing or anything. It's like, does it work for what I need it to do? Yeah. And do I, and if I don't need it, do I have it? So what you find about indigenous peoples is that they don't, they, first of all, they know how to make their own toolkits of survival with things at hand. Yeah. And if they need something, they'll find a way to create it if it's a problem for them. So first and foremost, in most human cultures, if you don't need a shoe, what you just don't, why have it? There's no yep. need. So that's like a, you know, there's that whole, that whole world. And there's so much of the habitable world that a shoe is really, becomes for daily life unnecessary and then it becomes necessary and you have this whole there's this whole great religious spiritual situation like in the western tradition literally when in the, the when adam and eve sinned they literally in the hasidic jew tradition they literally had to start wearing sandals because the, the ground literally became against them and you think about it in some and that's where you begin to have this interface it's like the world isn't all eden Mm -hmm. And um, but human beings are clever enough to be able to come up with ways to sort of create Eden everywhere. Yeah, and yeah. that is sort of like a shoe, a simple sandal, which is everywhere in the human, you know, everywhere where it suddenly becomes required. Usually it starts getting rockier or hotter or there's there's natural brambles or anything that would even stop any other critter. As soon as a human being begins to figure out strategies to overcome those obstacles without not by driven by the idea I've got to, um, you know, do something for my foot as far as the fundamental engineering. Yeah. 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 But just that's already, what, yeah, that's the foot is already so complex that, you know, Da Vinci says, this is the preeminently engineered part of the human body. Okay. Yeah, preeminently yeah. engineered part of the human body is the foot. Nobody needs to do much dabbling there. I mean, who knows? You know, it's already hard enough when a simple sandal has a few little things to tighten here, there, and thither, and it's already overcomplicated for most humans. The foot is just loaded with stuff that's way beyond our understanding. However, the jewel of the foot is that as you begin to allow it to develop its functional strength and its understandings of the earth and its, uh, its connection to the body, all this nuance of feeling and expression can come in movement and in um, life. Yeah. And so being connected is always good. And the footwear only comes in when you want to sort of start expanding that range and maintaining that comfort. So I think of footwear as like portable ground. Yeah. They weren't trying to like repair the foot. They were just trying to bring something along so the foot could keep being a foot, even though we got brambles, we've got rocks, yeah. we've got heat, we've yeah. got whatever. And I think that's a, just an incredible part of the human game is just finding ways to be natural 
while at the same time using this incredibly complex computer we've been given yeah. to like see that we can actually create as we go and make things better. But ultimately, it all comes down to a single human being who has access to a world unavailable to anyone else, their own private experience that's developed them into who they are and what they can do. Ultimately, they're responsible for that. Yeah. They need to take charge of that little experimental freedom they have and begin to seek out teachers and others who will give them advice and skills and tools to allow them to hone and develop those tools that they have within themselves so that they can begin to find that solution that will be unique and specific to them with all these kind of resonating voices around them. But people need yeah. to understand in the end, their ultimate expression of who they become is going to be unique and special to them. No one has the same. We're not cookie cutter folks. No. So go for it, experiment, but it's not like, you know, then people just took that book and it's like running forever all the time. Well, and yeah. it's like, I'm looking for the smallest dose that gives me the most return. I don't need to take, you know, like King George 23 tablets because the regular guy only takes three, you know, he kind of miscalculated. Kingliness <laughs> doesn't allow medicine to work differently. Yep. Yeah, man. Right. Yeah, no, but, but what I mean, there was two two roots that or two things that's come off that which I love is one is the the essentially the n equals one, you know, the the, the personal experiment. And I know I'm fairly certain you know Brian McKenzie, and I've kind of had oh, him yeah. on, I've had him on the podcast, and I'm kind of quite friendly with Emily Hightower, who he works with at Shift and stuff. Um and I love that. You know, everything they do is, is, you know, as you said, alluded to earlier, you know, cold baths and saunas and stuff. Is, everything is very popular these days. But actually the way that those guys do it is so like, you know, they, they look at the fundamentals and they look at the heuristics. They don't necessarily look at like, well, this is what someone said and this is what this one research or this is what these research papers say. It's like, yeah, but there's always outliers and you might not be that person. And actually you need to take consideration of how your physiology, your life, your stress, everything is going to affect all of that. And, you know, for me, you know, I get lots of people saying about barefoot running or, you know, especially as I don't know if you're probably not aware, but my work personally as a yoga teacher, but also I'm a movement therapist. And I don't know if you know Gary Ward and his work with feet. Um, oh, nice. Okay. So yeah, yeah. You're, I mean, I, I got a flavor. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm loving to feel that. So you really are in this craft. Yeah, yeah. You literally are meeting people, the rubber on the road, literally helping people make this transition. I'm trying. And I to. really believe a lot of people, most people, if they have access to somebody, and that, you know, I was lucky. I grew up wild and feral. So, you know, uh, and, and, and that didn't automatically, I did some teaching and stuff like that to try to sort of like integrate people into what I'd learned, but I always made it, I never wanted to be like the, um, uh, like, I've got the plan that's going to work for you. I just wanted to always, in my case, share how I see it, what I do when I'm doing it. But you're going to, you know, I never felt like I was going to be the expert, but I always knew there was going to need to be, particularly in places where this kind of culture isn't just alive. You know, the surf and skate culture and all, so many of us have this experience under our belt. At times now, when I look back about how we were handling ourselves, you know, as kids in the 70s in like conditions in surf and other places, it's this madness. There's just, yeah, man. I, I just, it was like nothing. It was, it was like, I mean, yes, it was challenging, but 
we wanted to do it. We were driven to do it, but we were like in surf and pounding surf on cliffs, walking in bare feet, carrying scuba gears. I mean, unbelievable. So, we were just so tough. So again, that mean again, that's gonna bring me back to where we almost started, to be fair. Like, um, but uh, I'm gonna put that there so I can remember. But um now I thought we'll do that one first. So essentially, then how has like that side of your upbringing if you like you pointed before we started or kind of maybe as we did start but to the five-year-old you or whatever's on the wall behind you but and we kind of were commenting about the amount of you know how great social media is in so many ways you know like I just literally dropped you a line and was like do you want to do a podcast and you know I've got to know people like Brian and Emily and Rob and, and Robert Fortune, who, you know, he, he was like, oh, I was chatting to Ted the other day. He should get on his podcast. He should get, he, and I told him to get on your podcast. Um, it's so good in that way. But your wild uh, sort of slightly, um, yeah, out there upbringing, if you like, where it was just, I'm going to get out in the sand and surf and, you know, I'm going to be skating, all of that. You know, that's, obviously influenced your your view on life and your whole philosophy i guess and i know because i've I was, before this i was listening to a few podcasts that you've been on and stuff and you mentioned kind of the philosophers you know a lot of uh, through and some of the other american philosophers and uh, was it jay jay william oh jay william lloyd yeah I, I it's just i'm in that whole realm there you know in in the united states there was this and it became, it actually had resonance and influence. It was one of the first sort of literary philosophical movements that sort of crossed the, the Atlantic. It was called the, they were called the Transcendentalists. There was yeah. a guy named Emerson, Thoreau, Whit, Walt Whitman was famous. They were really trying to, um, and, and they, yeah, they were reconnecting with nature and this kind of like, they were also the first Americans to start like having access to like, um, pretty deep um, philosophical things coming up, you know, from Indian writers and from yeah, yeah. the East and so forth. So you had this whole interesting mix. And, uh, and then, of course, as Americans, they were also able to see this. They were like in intermixing with, you know, native cultures, true cultures that exist. So there's this, it's a very interesting uh, intellectual movement. And I'm, I, I would say that kind of, surf culture and this kind of back to nature kind of culture, which I'm researching, um, which has California becomes like the place where it really expresses big because basically the big thing that happens is after World War II, you have uh, uh, a youth culture that isn't like, that has leisure time, right? Yeah. Suddenly you have a huge amount and, and that leisure time for youth became kind of new in an industrialized culture, let's say after World War II. But in reality, in so many indigenous cultures, there's a lot of leisure time. Um, it turns out that was one of the like things that sort of the sailors and people who were visiting these South Sea places were like seeing living cultures that were like way beyond and way freer and way happier than yeah. anything they were seeing where they had left back in London or Boston or whatever, right? They were like enamored with what they were seeing. And actually I'm following this incredible thread um, that leads back to where the first sparks that really become these moments where Western man 
is having this insight into certain indigenous or other cultures and realizing, holy shit, I'm fucked. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, you know, like these people are way happier, way healthier, way cap- more capable. Yeah. And that theme kind of happens. And then suddenly you start in the, the most interesting one, and it'll tie into what we're talking about here, is this Stanford student in the late 1890s. He's a sickly fellow. His dad's been a doctor. He's from Portland. He's, he's been sickly his whole friggin' life. And he's at Stanford. He just wants to solve the riddle of his own life. He gets sick again. He's like, fuck it. I'm done. I can't take it anymore. And he literally just wanders off into the woods to die. And somehow in the process of getting out and away from all the shit, all the things that he was trying to do, everything, he found that by basically getting back and it became, he became the poster child. Yeah. He's in San Francisco now and he's walking around. This is in the turn of the century now. He's a fucking loony bin. He's walking around telling everybody, I found the answer. And it's like sunlight and it's breathing and it's getting back to natural foods and it's walking barefoot. And it's, and it's like, he is inspiring people. He's like tripping people out. Jack London, a famous American popular writer of the time, gets intrigued by this guy, meets up with him, learns a little bit about this. And it turns out this guy, his name is Ernest Darling. He he became known as the nature man. Right, yeah. Jack London finally has this. I mean, I'm, it's kind of a complicated story here. But in the end, what I'm telling you is I have and I could and I can't wait to find a way to package it and share it more. But I've been drilling down on what is it that gave us this space to be, have the freedom to investigate this area that's become such an attractive place to investigate my own body, my own history, and what are its capabilities. There are people who have been outliers a hundred yeah. years ago, who stepped up and said this, that, or the other, that today rings quite true, that back then was a fucking loony bin and you might go to jail. I'm not kidding. Yeah, yeah. Well, on like that kind of, there was a program and the audience it. my brother was telling me all about it, but basically, in, um, I guess it was probably in America, but like they basically took, a whole group of social media like kids who are like influencers and stuff and they've all got depression they've all got anxiety and so and mental yeah. issues and stuff and they basically took them and they put them on a on an Amish farm is it Amish yeah Amish was the one yeah, with the big Amish, beards yeah, yeah. They, they they build barns right big beards yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. um so they put them on an Amish farm where there's no technology basically all they're doing is being outside in nature they're getting their hands dirty they're kind of essentially not living in their kind of gucci and nike and whatever else and essentially by the end of the, like the month or six weeks that they do it they're all fucking happy yep do you know what i mean they're all like all of yep. the mental and and you know my background is also as a nurse so one of the reasons like i leave i left nursing was just because like I felt like the health system was just missing a trick. And uh, and for me, it kind of makes so much sense that we over-medicalize everything. And actually, what we're missing is just a connection with, like, nature and, and with other well, people, Well, look, there's course. no money in it. You know, no, one exactly. of the things that, you know, it's like when you have all these, so it's like, you know, 
there's so much good intentions in the attempts of trying to make people better. But after some point, you start realizing good intentions are not enough. And matter of fact, when you start mixing money and power with good intentions, <laughs> they might good intention your ass right to the grave real quick. So, you know, it's like that's not enough. And when it comes to human health, there is no cookie cutter solution. So that's why all these programs that look like they're going to make everything better. I'm telling you, my God, the good intentions have gotten way out of whack. And we yeah. see what happens when you suddenly have people thinking they're so certain that all you need is what they know you need, man. Yeah, man. And we all know anybody who has any experience in the health world knows there ain't no cookie cutter solution, folks. <laughs> yep. And in fact, there that are no cookie mind. cutter solutions. And the things that are cookie cutter solutions are get up in the line and we're going to give you a shot or a pill. Now, if you want to go that style, I think there will always be places where you can get in line and they're going to give you a shot and they're going to give you a pill. But I'm going yeah. to tell you right now, why bother if you don't need it? And yeah. if you don't need it, what do you need to do to be that? And that's getting back to any ways of finding out, finding ways to not A, unnecessarily over toxinate yourself <laughs> yeah yeah by you know just by living off of toxins this is very difficult even the complex beautiful machine of the human body can only take it so long yeah and and, and that's same with it but just like you said there's so much like low hanging fruit that maybe the disruption of all these technologies that have been like keeping everybody will be good to shake it out a little bit not to say that there aren't all kinds of wonderful modalities of therapy and nutrition and all the Absolutely. rest. It's generally not the stuff that you're seeing a commercial on TV where there's like 10 pages of after effects that you might get if you take it, you know? <laughs> yeah. And if it's unhappiness that you're dealing with, it's a systemic thing in most cases. And you just need to like do exactly what those kids did. Get your ass out of that box mm -hmm. every F and day, yeah. no matter what, breathe, get some sun on your face. Get, if that's it, it's not even really about endless exercising, really. No. More people just need time in spaciousness. <laughs> well, I always say, and I heard you kind of talk about it, and you said it earlier, but like the, the, the smallest you can do for the biggest reward. And I always say, whenever anyone comes to see me for their pains whatever or they're learning to breathe because they're all kind of fucked with copd or emphysema or asthma or whatever it's like don't worry about the idea of exercise inverted commas think more about just moving so like go for a walk like walking is the most under like rated thing in the world and i kind of say this a lot on here and to different people but you know, I try to walk 15 to 20,000 steps ish a day. I just want to get out with my dogs and just be outside and breathe in nature. And, you know, yeah, I don't know. It's you kind can't of make a pill that good, man. You can't, there man. is no effing pill in the history of the world. That's as good as that. And then there's a way it's almost like, and therefore people, I believe who can't have that regularly, they need to start, you know, it really comes down to personal responsibility. You got, there's, there's tricks yeah. to even, I mean, naturally, like I live in Santa Barbara now, let's face it, I cherry picked as best as I could because <laughs> the primal vote is the body, get it where you want it to be. But you can't, That you know, I'm 58 now. I haven't lived here all of my life. It took me, and it's like not easy to be here in the first place. However, there is something to be said about getting, even wherever you are, 
there's always tricks to finding way, you know, find that way where you can find a little Zen where you can, I mean, even if it's just laying on your back, looking up into the sky, yeah, finding some way where you can get that spaciousness too. that just being able to see that Horizon, you can just keep walking. Yeah. It really helps. Yeah. It really helps people. And then I think that it just becomes inertial such that, you know, your dogs, well, you know, Generally, dogs don't need to be begged to go outside. Right? <laughs> Depends how hot it is or cold or whether it's feeding time, getting close or whatever. There, I mean, there's nuances, but I really do believe getting people to do that more. And so like Luna Sandals, my company became one of the ways that I could manifest a tool that would at one and the same time sort of tell the story about what I'm about yeah. and what I think, you know, one of the things I think is important. And then also find a way to get in the game, you know, of trying to come up with an, um, objects that people consent, I can trade people consensually can, you know, vote with their money to try yep. to do something to improve them. But the whole point of the sandal is, and you know, it's, it's one of the simplest ways to create a tool like a surfboard. It's kind of a platform. And usually you get a surfboard because you're going to go to the beach and catch a wave. And with a Luna, it's the idea of I wanted to create footwear that's paying homage to all these, this tradition of sandals that have been part of the human experience since the beginning of time. So that you're learning how to take a very simple tool. And since it's your hand, your brain, your foot, putting it up and realizing that in so many situations, that's the preeminent tool. Yeah. You don't need, you know, you don't need more. And then just this idea of finding footwear that would allow the foot to do basically. I like that. I really like the idea of portable ground such that a foot sort of harnessed in something that it's bringing along, but it's almost all constantly just doing what it would do no matter what. You're just having this little ad mixture. I really love that. I just love that idea that, you know, you know, footwear is something most people need and some and finding a way to, to play that game. So that became, a way to express, in my case, an entrepreneurial opportunity that turned out to be, there's no way. It's like footwear is so complex. It really is. Oh, even well, if you I mean, get to the, the simple sandal, the half sizes thing. and yada, yada. It's like, I really started understanding. It is no, in, you've got to, anybody who bothers to go and do something and finds a way to solve that so that they can keep it going these skills, this is another kind of like human skill, like figuring out how to use your nook of the universe that gives you such a unique vision, like everyone's own personal history, all the insights they've gained from their mistakes and from their successes and all the rest of it, all their networks, like you've been describing, all those things meld into an individual that ultimately has a bead on the universe no other person has. And as they solve problems for themselves, they may or may not come up with something that ultimately ends up being valuable for others that they could either share through stories, or if it's an object they might invent, and they literally start lifting others up with themselves. That, that process yeah. in human culture, it's, it's self-forming systems. They don't have a commissar. There's no committee most of the time. It's just these interesting interactions that are happening by free individuals just investigating their lives and seeing. Yeah. And so the more, and that's a kind of spaciousness in the human connecting world. And when that's real, rather than driven by bots and algorithms and AI and all, yeah, when yeah. it's real, 
That's a human community network. And that is actually valuable. That's yes. valuable. Again, and I think so, that comes, yeah, that goes back to commu- the, the connection though, thing though, as well. Um, like there's a guy, I don't know if you read his book, there's a, guy, a book called Lost Connections by Johan Hari discussing like depression and stuff like that. And, you know, those connections that you get through real, you know, interactions of like people just wanting to having their idea and running with it and like bouncing the ideas off other people and, you know, building, you know, whether it be like Luna Sandals or whatever, again, those are the, those are the connections like the connection with nature and being outdoors, which give people like a sense of joy and uh, like oh, bliss yeah, and, and, and love of life and the world and whatever else. And I, you know, I, I honestly think when I read that book, it was one as a nurse where, you know, you've just been educated to be like, essentially medicate the shit out of you uh, uh, pretty much and then yeah. and then you suddenly <laughs> you, you 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 hear and you see how connection is like actually what everyone's missing these days and you know these things our phones kind of are, are amazing i'm fucking talking to you on the other side of the world but at the same time you know they suck us out of it as well and um yeah that's it's, right. uh, it's crazy um, yeah, that's right. I, I totally, I mean, that is, that book sounds fascinating. I, I, I really, uh, uh, I hope you put that in the notes. I'll put it I'm in the notes. Definitely sure. check it out. But it's an absolute, you know, it's so absolutely clear. And giving, so the, the one quote that connects to all, I mean, there's a, there's an underlying, you know, back to the trend, there's an underlying sort of like attitude about being that um, people who end up being able to really mm, approach life in this sort of affirmative way, they tend to have grabbed hold of something. And the best way I've heard it described is um, there's this Baptist mystic. I mean, it's an unheard of thing in the American (laughs) tradition. It's a, it's a, 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 a dude that grew up in segregated Florida. His name is Howard Thurman. He was Martin Luther King Jr.'s mentor at Boston University. And, he was a trippy dude. He was actually, <laughs> he's got a, he gave the sermon that was part of the 1962 Marsh experiment. That's where Timothy Leary's student yeah, yeah. Uh, gave the, um, you know, there were 20 theological students, 20, 10 were going to get a heroic dose of psilocybin and 10 were going to get a, get a um, placebo. And it's the most, it, that study by Walter Ponky became his PhD thesis on mystical experiences. They, it was a longitudinal study. So they followed those guys for the rest of their lives, basically. And those experiments proved to be quite valuable for the people who experienced. But the guy giving the speech that day is Howard Thurman, who okayed the experiment in his chapel at Boston right. University. Right. Oh, there you go. And this dude's quote that I love, that I, I actually on, um, I wrote an article or a, a, um, I got published in the Chicken Soup for the Soul. It's yeah, like, yeah. A, like a good feeling story thing. I wrote The Roots of Barefoot Ted and it starts out with Howard Thurman's uh, quote, which is this. He says, don't ask what the world needs. Instead, ask what makes you come alive and do that. Because what the world needs are people who have come alive, right? I like that. And so when people are finding those little solutions to a problem they're having, and then they find a way to package that and make it so that they can make that easier for somebody else, many other people, that kind of sort of starts all these. 
And we are literally glad. When I say we're at the spear point of all this experimentation that's happened before us, I literally mean our ancestors dreamed of, hoped for, fought for, struggled to have a world similar to the one we're having. Yeah, yeah. And we're needing to do our own nuanced, you know, we're seeing where it went too far. I mean, yeah. who wouldn't want to open a box and bing, bang, boom, there's everything you need right there in a yeah. refrigerator. Yeah, I, yeah. I swear to God, endless chanting, people fighting, us, great. And, I mean, it's all there. We have our own new natural world, which has its own disharmonics, but if we can harmonize ourselves, if we can regain some of these qualities that we we're talking about, if we can find that balance in the maelstrom of it all, we have more access to more things to do more good than anyone ever did before. And I truly believe that the heart of it is, as it expresses in a grassroots sort of way, most problems that we see that are just like the niggling problems that are never going away can go away quickly when everyone's not doing the same thing with the wrong way. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's way better to have a whole bunch of different, because there is no cookie cutter solution to life. To any, this idea, I mean, there, there are global issues. That's true. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is there is not a way to solve anything. And one great thing that we have these days that we didn't have a hundred years ago, these days I do business with my friends all over the world including Vietnam and including Japan and including yeah, yeah, China yeah. and Germany. These are all my friends. A hundred years ago, I was seeking out how I can kill those motherfuckers, right? Yeah. It's a better world, period. Yeah, 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 definitely, definitely. And uh, yeah, I mean, what's his name? Stephen Pinker says that all the time, I think, that like, you know, we really is the best time ever to, to be alive. If, statistically. But if you're not connected, what does it mean, right? Well, exactly. If you're not connected, the best world is disconnected from you. And what do you feel? Fucking depressed. Yeah. So how do we get more people connected? Well, one way is some of the things, you're, you know, just getting back, habiting your body again, yeah. inhabiting it again, and starting to understand that the ecology of the body is the first, if you want to save the fucking world, folks, start yeah. with the ecology of your own body and your own mind. Yeah, because if you don't get that, all you're preaching is literally the substrate that's growing the consciousness that allows you to preach isn't being fed. Get on it, folks. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Clean your own bedroom, as uh, I think uh, what Spain says. Amen. So, because uh, like I want to get into a whole bunch, really, but one of the things I want to obviously just chat about is is running, I guess, because you know. You are best known for, I guess, running, let's say. Um, now, again, I'm not too worried necessarily about, you know, <laughs> techniques and stuff, chatting to you about that, because I think, you know, one of my teachers, um, Helen Hall, who I'm kind of working with um, to try and resolve my issues and everything else, you know, it's always like, like you've said, there's no cookie cutter. Everyone runs right. to their own body and their own history. And, you know, and you can run... What exactly. the hell are they running for? What's their need? What is even inspiring? You know, there's what are you so running from? That's always that's always been something which my wife and I always kind of you know it's weird because I've always kind of said that with people who are doing ultras and stuff. I've always been like, the fuck, are they running from? 
type thing. But exactly. it's weird though. So, but weirdly, like I don't feel like I've got anything to run from. I'm like extremely happy, but I am now my body is starting to come to a stage where I can actually get running again. Like I've had knee problems and, you know, it's kind of lifetime issues, which are now res- resolving all of a sudden. Nice. I, I love the idea of, I don't want to run from anything. I want to run to explore my, the possibilities of what my body, my exactly. breath and everything can do, which to me, the ultimate thing about running an ultra or, or running a distance isn't necessarily the physical, but it's more the mental. Oh, yeah. So from your perspective of someone who's run the Copper Canyon and Leadville and, and, and everything that you've run, like how does how does the the psychological side, I guess, like play out or yeah. you know, oh, yeah. and, and how do you how do you deal with that like when you're in it or when you first started doing it and is it different now to you know when you started doing them yeah absolutely you know so first of all i you know i i, I my most recent experiments in long distance stuff has been really playing around with this idea of what's the least amount that gives me the most right in mm-hmm. other words like how can i train like the I was able to successfully do it in 2019. Then it's, it's been screwed up since yeah, after COVID. COVID but shit, yeah. I was, I was doing my training and I got to the point where I could do what I would consider extremely minimal amounts of training and still be able to go. And the, the Leadville 100 is a great barometer of skill because it's all above 10,000 feet, you know, or 3000 meters. The whole race is above that and it's a hundred miles and it's in the mountain and so forth and so on. Right. So you've got all these really serious um, complexities that are like big wave riding. I like to think of, for me, that became my big wave riding. Now you don't want to do that every day. You don't really want to be in big waves. It's very, it's tough. It's tough. And it, it, you know, and in the end it's worth it. If you survive, you get these exhilarating experiences, but it can beat the hell out of you. Right. So, but the, the hundred mile, that hundred mile distance became for me a way to experiment. And for me, the experiment was this. It's basically learning how to live a hundred years in a day. Right. And right. So attitude is really going to, you know, first of all, you have to have the, um, the body is going to have to be taken care of all, you know, you can't be playing around with this stuff early on you can't be having problems early on matter of fact my joke has always been you better feel damn good at 50 if you want to make it to 100 <laughs> what is that miles and in life good. <laughs> and leadville has a way of kicking your ass such that it really is hard to yeah. feel good at 50 because basically at leadville you run for 40 something miles and then you climb, 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 climb to the point where you can't even breathe anymore at 12,600 feet. Then you descend back down into this other valley on the other side of that mountain to get to the 50 mile turnaround point only to have to turn around and go back up that thing. (laughs) It's just like, I swear to God, it kicks your ass. However, if you find the mental part of it, is learning how to wash one dish at a time. Be Mm -hmm. here now. Continuous analyzation of what is happening to you. Continuous ahead of the game. 
continuously monitoring in my pounding is this is it is what and just this, it's a self-monitoring and being aware of what's happening all the time and furthermore one of my strategies and part of my training has been um different things but one of a huge one has been breathing yeah and i do a lot of my training my running these days which is never measured really per se but it's very limited yeah. And mostly nose breathing. I yeah. really love expanding where and what I can do in the nose breathing realm. Yeah. It's really fun. It's a really easy tool to really get a lot of bang for your buck, in my opinion. And at Leadville, one of my tricks has always been how I breathe through the race, which is extremely important to do it well if you're coming from sea level. Yeah. Most people can't have, like 50% don't make the race, right? Can't make it through the race. It's just yeah. that hard. But many more people from sea level can't make it because it's just, it's notoriously difficult to exert yourself under the pressure of not having enough air. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I'm, I mean, I, on that, like just on the breathing, cause he's brought that up. Like my, again, I've kind of my nursing and then, you know, through I've done a few courses with Brian McKenzie, obviously, um, Patrick McEwen, like breathing's like my thing. I just I love it. Either for both performance and for like health. Um totally. but, you know, when I run, like at the moment, I've just been getting back out, not doing big th- distances, but I did like three runs this week, last week of like five to seven K, just but I've been doing it like all barefoot with my mouth taped shut and oh yeah it's okay I saw, yeah yeah and and yeah. literally my idea is because again i don't i don't have watches i don't have like you know i set a strava just so i can see roughly what distance i do but essentially i i run to my body i don't i use my body's own Perfect. feedback and so i and i always say this to people is when you know especially new year everyone goes oh, i'm going to start running and i'm going and i always say if you're going to start running run with nasal breathing and you'll suck balls at first you won't be able to do it for shit but give it six, six four to six weeks and if you run nasal breathing and you'll probably be fast walking for a chunk of it actually you'll suddenly be able to run 5k comfortably recover quickly not have the burn not you know you'll be able to stop at 5k having done all nasal breathing and talking sentences and you won't be super red-faced in the same way and blah, blah 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 um so yeah when i heard you say about you were just playing with breathing for your uh with your oh, i've been loving that i mean it's i mean breathing is such a it's such a cool i mean i've always been fascinated by it all my life i was even as a little kid i was gonna say but to be fair if you're surfing as well and you spend like yeah, spend yeah. time in the water do you know what i mean like I kind of do some free diving and I spend a lot of time like practicing long breath holds, you know, five plus minute breath holds. Um, that's right. I, oh yeah. That's legit, man. And I think if, if you're, if you spent your life surfing and you're kind of under the water, you know, having an appreciation and understanding of like, oh, I'm getting roughed up here and not shitting the bed when. Oh got yeah. Oh breath. my God. I mean, that's what I mean. When, when I look back, that's exactly like, I got all that kind of stuff through like you know this just living just living you know, yeah just living and now i look back on it and i realize you know if i didn't and it was same with barefoot running too if it, i started realizing and this is why i it's so that's why some people just you know their life experiences give them something that allows them to uh set an example let's say but some but they may not have the 
because they didn't have to teach themselves in the yes. same way that a teach. So I think some teachers are really great. They are able to solve the riddle for themselves through some inside a coach or a person, and then they become more efficient at helping other people maybe get to that space. With some of these things, I've never bothered to become a coach because I really, it's like, it's like, I, I just like, yeah, don't, it's like, there's so many underlying things that it's like, I got from yes. being in that mouse, you know, doing those things as, as a kid. I really don't want the responsibility. No. Like for when it comes to like bringing people down in some of the places that I used to go and think, I mean, I don't want to take anybody to do that. And yeah. I want to tell you actually last, last weekend, I did a, uh, I went with these two dudes, both of them are TV guys. One is called Matt Graham. I think he has a TV show called Dual Survivor. I have not seen it, but I hear it's cool. And it got another guy named Dan Baird and he's got some, he, you know, there's, there's so many of these like dudes get dropped into some place and they survive. Oh yeah, that kind of thing. They're both really cool dudes. And Matt Graham, who's a Luna runner, wearer and whatever, he said, hey, would you like to join us on a 50 mile a four-day desert primitive run. And so two weekends ago, I found myself with five guys total, uh, totally off the, off the grid in a place called Escalante, Utah, in the middle of nowhere. You can see no human beings, no sign of human civilization anywhere in these extremely complex uh, desert canyons with extremely dangerous and, yeah. you know, not conditions of all kinds and we went in without water without really proper food without sleeping bags and dude it is so good to get down to that i mean it's not for everybody i'm telling you but it was easy in the sense that i was never fearful of my life yeah. or anything like that but we were seeing mountain lion things i mean it was on and on but what's so cool is you get down to that primal place where you, you know, you're catching your food, you're finding what you can eat, you're traversing all this complexity, you really don't have much and yet you're doing pretty darn good. But you realize survival for our ancestors was a full friggin time job. Yes, 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 yes. You know, it's a full time job. And that's why I'm saying all these prayers of our ancestors was for the heavenly place we live in, which can be a hellish place too, if you're disconnected. But I guarantee you so many of the things that we take for granted now, believe me, spend three nights in the desert without a sleeping bag, man. And you'll realize I mean, it takes a lot of time to make your bed every day. <laughs> I mean, I uh, I would like, you know, that kind of thing. And I don't know why over the last few years, like, I don't know, last two years, I've just had this, like, I re that's the sort of stuff I, I want to, you know, I'd love to be able to just like, go get dumped in the desert with a couple of other guys and just like learn, just, just experience and just do oh, it. Oh, I'm telling you, man. if you've got a person, you know, we had Matt Graham and if you have, you know, it's not where you're going to have a huge population of people, right? Deserts and desert yeah, yeah. canyons and all over. You're not going to bring all to every Tom, Dick and Harry there and everybody's going to be okay. It's a harsh environment and it doesn't have a crap ton of resources for a, maintaining a large population however if you know what's there yeah it's a yeah, smorgasbord yeah. you know but, and if you have the right guys who know it's like it's almost like if you have a computer but you don't know what a keyboard is you screw and even if it's on the internet what good is it for you but if you've got the dude who knows how to tap 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 
bing, bang, boom. And nature is like that. I mean, the world and our ancestors were using the same skills that have created all this interesting technology that we use now to do things like to figure out how to strip this uh, bark off bark. of this dog vein and then roll this in and create a cordage that you do this and you twist it around here and you put it on this rock and you have this trigger and you do this thing and now you have a trap that catches a squirrel. Yeah. It's like, it's still technology and it's still complexity of yes. being able to put all these things together, build this kind of little machine. And suddenly you have an ability to get a squirrel at a time when you're not even there. I mean, this, this capacity of ours in the world that we live today, you have ways to leverage it in way more interesting ways. These little traps. Now this, this becomes the ethical question. What should I do with my time? What yeah. should I trap? What should I eat? Well, that becomes, you know, now that's you finally, that's what happens when you finally make it where you're not just like struggling in. Just struggling to survive. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Then Absolutely. you can, if you're not connected though, then you're just, your mind's filled with all the ghosts and goblins. And my uh, shaman friend who has an ancestral medicine shop in Chihuahua City gives right. you the idea. He goes <laughs> like this when you start having bad thoughts, his thing is you just say, Consolado consolado you basically cancel it out oh consolado oh nice yeah. consolado consolado cancelado. and you know people need to do that way more and one of the strategies for happiness for me is a you do have to connect to real sources people that you can trust that are have yeah. stories and messages that are positive people in your environment and whatnot but there's so much shit you need to disconnect from. And one of them is that endless chatterbox called the television with all those fucking doom and gloomers who get paid by making you think Feel bad about your shit. thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's their job, man. What a sucky job. You know, it's like, oh my God, you just literally spew out endless fear and uncertainty to people endlessly. And I was, um... wonder why people are so i was saying to, i, can't, I was chatting to someone the other day i think it was when i was just down in cornwall this weekend and uh i was just saying to my mate like the two of us were saying like we haven't looked at the news for like for months you know i mean i used to wake up every morning and was a scroll and just like of course and, and and it's now a stage where like i don't have my phone anywhere near me when i go to bed anyway now so but like Good, yeah, I, I just yeah. don't even i haven't even looked at the news for like six months and then a very you, good habit man and then when I you do look at it my eyes like if i'm even in a place i mean it's i'm telling you i it's like i've been doing it so it must have some value and but i literally avert my eyes like if i'm at an airport i do not just you just see if people like get hypnotized it's, and i swear to god it's the worst effing crap but the I weird thing was in my head if it's well, really dangerous or important believe me everyone around you is parroting that shit all friggin day long that's the thing that's in my head I, or not even in my head but just in general i'd always say you know it's like no you need to see the new you know you need to keep up to date you need to not go and and now i think i don't watch it at all and like i don't think i'm missing out on anything do you know what i mean like really there's are. nothing You're there's nothing i'm news. missing out on that no, I you're think... creating new information. And in the end, people should curate what they take in, what they, you know, don't just let anybody give you anything on the street. You just walk down the street and let anybody just hand you food, hand you pills. Yeah. Because thoughts and ideas are like, they're chemicals. They create, they change you. They change yeah. who you are. They change your experience. I mean, just get in a fight with your wife, you know, or your partner. 
you can fuck up a good situation in one second with the wrong information. <laughs> you know what I mean? And the news yes. is basically like a bad partner always. They're yes. always looking to come up with some terrible fucking thing. No, I mean, I mean, it's even worse in America. Majority, but that's their business. I think in America, you've got even worse. This show, folks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just keep watching this. In America, you've got even worse than we have because it's even more like polarized and more like uh, oh yeah made up then oh um, yeah I, then, look yeah. i've been out of that business for so long now i don't even know i you know in the end spaciousness yeah spaciousness doesn't get all fucking concerned you know if you're if you really are a space and that i was telling my wife this yesterday what we were having a little we started to get a little heated i just went out and started and suddenly i have all this spaciousness now this thing that looked like such a big fucking problem in my box yeah if I get some spaciousness, it gives it some perspective and it's yeah. no longer, it's there. It's yeah. not like I'm trying to like pretend like I don't have a problem here, but with spaciousness, it's a new opportunity, right? You, a, you suddenly realize a new oh, dummy, there's a freaking right over there. There's a fig tree, you know, yeah. you know, you know, it's like, stop, stop thinking it's all here. And that's, just, and now you're all cancel out of that shit. Look around, go outside, breathe. Bam, you're going to get a new insight. And once you get into the strategy of living where your setbacks are really new opportunities to find a better way to solve that thing that failed, and then ultimately by that back and forth, you're going to discover a new route, a new channel. And ultimately, you're going to be a pioneer in that space. Yeah. And if it, if it continues to do good for you, you don't even need to tell anybody about it they're going to see it's doing good and they will be attracted to what you're doing. Yeah, and therefore yeah. there'll be this like that's, and I see people like you, you know, I get to meet from podcasts and being barefoot. Ted gets this opportunity of being able to meet all these people yeah, of who are become teachers. And I almost like being like a, you know, like a musician for musicians kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. sort of like being able to see all this because I envisioned it coming. Yes, I recognize yes, yes, that yes. this is a space that needs to be, fully and there's no end to it there's always going to be new ways that and new communities and new places in the world where this these insights will be necessary and people will find a way to leverage their insights into either services or products or or experiences that people feel compelled and happy to vote with their money to get yes. get access to and when we all play that game those plus some gains, i.e. Yes. situations where people people who are locked into thinking that, but to, in order to gain some value, you have to take something away from somebody else, don't understand how it really works. And they're limiting themselves by assuming, oh, if I'm going to take, if I make more, I'm just taking from X. Yeah, if you're a, you know, if you're a state or a marauding herd of people going around and thinking that you just take things from people in order, that style does exist. Yeah. <laughs> some, it becomes professionalized to some degree. But in the end, the reality, the good stuff is all people interacting with each other and building each other up. And man, when you get to see that in action in yeah. places where it's really worked well, you know, nice little villages do that, towns, ships. There's places all England has lots of places that did that, I think. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, little, little communities that for long periods of time, you know, there's usually a church and there's some there's some like some of the serious hardware of a community. 
yeah. that gets reprogrammed every generation. But ultimately, it's nice to have those hardwares and those yeah. kind of like those sceneries that aren't changing like endlessly, you know, and there's so many. I, I love, I, by the way, I just absolutely love England. I mean, it's I mean, like. I mean, I'm stupid. I'm crazy lucky. I live uh, like in the countryside, basically. Yeah, where are you? What part of England are you? Are so you England? I, I am England. I'm I'm on the towards the east coast. So I'm just so I'm like a two an hour and a half east of London, basically. So I'm near. What's the I'm, area? So I'm in Suffolk. So I'm uh, you've got Norfolk and Suffolk are at like are on the in that big bulb sticking out the side. So I'm near Ipswich um, and like I'm yeah. Kind of. Well, anyway, England. Yeah, I've I've spent a lot of time in. Uh, well, I've been you, to Cornwall. Okay, so I Cornwall's... did the lizard. I did that lizard to Lands End race. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's really cool, man. It's a lovely bit of um, uh, lovely bit of uh, coastline around there, isn't there? That's a lovely bit of coastline with a terrific amount of history. And then I spent a lot of time in Surrey, and oh, I yeah. really like that area. That is really cool area. Yeah. There's some near Box Hill. There's this yep. place called okay. Dorking. Dorky, very yeah. interesting anyway i just i i mean there's so much and scotland i mean there's just i mean it's a fabulous country it really yeah. is it's just the winter suck we and and also us brits we always uh we always underappreciate where we're actually from i mean we always well i think everyone wants to get away in some ways from their own place but um um yeah it's kind of a i kind of i, I definitely don't appreciate it at times like going down to cornwall when i'm down there because my wife and i've been going down there a bit off a bit more recently and I ran a whole bunch of the coast from like New Quay, which is obviously the main surf spot around England. So I ran sort of New Quay, you know, just doing like eight, oh, ten, yeah, eight, dude, ten milers, so but it was just good. beautiful. Like it's so amazing. Pretty. It's like you just can't even believe. I mean, when you grow up in America, you just think England is just some god awful, <laughs> foggy, boggy. You know, I mean, I mean, at times it definitely that. is. It definitely. Oh is yeah. Oh, I've seen those places too. <laughs> I've seen those places too. They exist, but the, there's plenty of places that are not like that. And I really, yeah, I really, um, I, I, I think people need to really explore that. One of the things I was mentioning though, is that hardware, yeah. all those old churches and, and those are, it's really cool to have that stuff. Actually. But also I think that's the same with the, like, especially, so I'm in a little village called Laham, Um and you know, we've got a little pub just and it's you know it's crossroad but the to me like in our little village there's you've got upper lamb and lower lamb they're divided by a river but like the pub is smack bang in the middle and it's amazing to me like the pub is is that just a hub and it's like you know it's where totally. it's where the, the 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 old you know there's an older generation who have been you know been there but then there's a, a newer generation coming in and you know you get different generations conversing and Gosh, such an important social construct right and you just said the hub is the the pub is the and it is there's no mistake that there's a connection between those two and then you've got this social lubricant usually made with materials that are grown in the environment you know there's yeah. it's an incredible little culture there and i i really i i do believe that like i'm trying to you know you've got to have one and the same it's really great to have those kind of real true communities yes. so that you can you know because that's that connection you're talking about, right? That really is connection at its deepest level on that's where, so many different ways. And unfortunately, I feel that, like, and you kind of alluded, but like as when things are, are smaller villages, it's so much easier as you get to city, bigger towns, cities, you know, that it's so easy to like, to 
stare blankly on the underground or the tube and not like smile but like you know I can't I can't quite remember how you put it but it, I was thinking when you said it there's a there is something about like the infectiousness of like you know smiling and and how you know that kind oh. of that kind of yeah. way of like passing something on without having to do anything is so underappreciated and actually oh dude you know, it's so the, true the that joy is so and true. happiness and bliss and stuff that that can bring to someone just by when you're not used to it like just smiling and sticking your thumbs up or you know giving them a nod like and th they'll probably just be a bit like that was weird i don't know if i like that but then it kind of ticks in their head and all of a sudden it's kind of a contagion yeah there is something about there is you know in the end first back to the idea first and foremost figuring out how to um Having the wherewithal required, the literally the will, the intending will required to sort of get yourself tuned in such a way that you begin to remember these little strategies when you need them and apply them at the right moment. You know, it's like we're beginning to have access to all these incredibly great tools um, and insights through storytelling and experience. And I guess in the end, intelligence becomes the capacity to get the right tool out at the right time to get the job done right. Yeah. And the real trick of it all is finding ways to make sure you're, you the easiest way to get the furthest is to build little bits of inertia into the system by making sure you're doing a little bit of good all the time, a little yeah. bit of good. You yeah, don't, yeah, don't yeah. have to have these impactful weekend warrior things, but every day have a practice where you're not having to catch up three times as much. You know, it's like, it's like, it's basically like that Zen, the guy shows up at the monastery, he says, look, man, I want to get enlightened. And the guy says, it's going to take about five years. And then he says, well, I'm willing to work twice as hard. And he says, well, it's going to take you 10, you know, something like that. It's like, <laughs> get into a daily strategy of a little bit better rather yep. than like the is Big my is, is is a is a good you know as particularly as you get older i'll be 58 in a week so it's like i'm like i'm starting to i'm gonna i'm saying 60s the new 21 i'm saying the world is so complex yeah we have so many new interesting opportunities we're having all these tools and access we really it's really taking a long time <laughs> to really understand what it is that we have and i'm really truly believing 60 is the new 21 and i mean that like you were de describing with your running as you're learning how to sort of appreciate it in a new way as you're learning some of these new things i'm telling you that so many of us have so much work to do on ourselves to just clean up of the mess of the last you know yes. sort of like attitude that um literally being able to feel better for a long time and just get out of the whole stupid story of like, I'm so many years old and therefore I'm blah, blah, blah. It's like, fucking stop this narrative crap. Do not tell these stories. It's like bad news. Yes. Don't say things with certainty that you don't know for your case that that's the case. Yeah. And there's so many things about aging that Dr. Daniel Lieberman, the guy that's in yeah. the run, writes a book called The Story of the Human Body. It's all it's these mismatch diseases. People yes. think it's the human condition. No, no. So many of the diseases that are the scourge of modern man are his own damn friggin' behaviors. Yeah. Come on, yeah. folks. You're I'm not a broken machine. 
But I'll tell you, if you keep feeding it the wrong thing and not letting it do what it wants to do, it's going to get very unhappy. And unhappy machines, when they're called humans, damn, those suckers break, break down fast. They do. I mean, that's like, you know, I've got one more one more thing I really want to just bring up in it or just oh, yeah. ask in a minute. But before I do that, it's like, I, you know, I'm 20 years, you're younger, I guess. I'm 38, just turned 38. So, you know, and in a part of me, it's always like, well, I'm nearly 40 and and the I've got ideas of like I want to do some like fucking stupid big runs to to challenge myself and I had a guy on here Nick Butter I don't know if you know Nick Butter he was the guy who ran a marathon in every country of the world he ran 192 oh, marathons yeah. Yeah, in 190 countries so I had him on a chat to him but you know he did that when he was like 20 six or something and you know all of these people did all of these big things when they're in their like 20s and you know i you know i've kind of i'm pushing on 40 and but i feel like once i get my knee to a place where it's like properly happy i'd be in a but you know at 40 i would be i'm in a better headspace and physical space than i ever was when i was in my 20s and so the idea of being able to go off and do something ridiculous you know part of my idea i would love to run the entire coast of the uk barefoot oh, yeah like that's kind of on my dream list and i'm not quite oh, sure i love it. it i love it yeah that's spacious is you know that that stretching those imaginative boundaries ultimately i think that's the ultimate value more than anything is you get to prove it's like a way of proving to yourself something that really literally just takes will right yes. i mean yeah. if you as long as you're not you know i don't you know i don't care how much will you have if you're f- putting you know crap fuel into a, a mercedes benz and it, the engine's not tuned right and you decide you're just going to drive it harder to get to where you want to go you might accomplish your dream but i'll tell you that car is not going to be a happy camper so finding a way to find a way whereby you can stretch those imaginative boundaries and it's not a stunt. It's really more about what can I do to manage what I need to do in order to see what's possible for me? Because as you stretch those imaginative boundaries in your physical space, you'll begin to find strategies of how you'll apply. That's, I mean, ultimately what I think ultra running did for me was just have another avenue of verifiable results. Yes that allow me to tell myself that I was able to achieve this, what other thing do I want to set my targets on now? Yeah. I was able, and so it gives you that kind of, you know, where it becomes a problem is if you begin to Become not obsessive. be able to self-report that you're enjoying this process, right? Yeah. At some point, it's way better to have achieved that crazy thing, like you're saying, and then come back and really apply it to something else. Yeah. That ultimately, yeah, but I do believe you get a kind of, you know, there's a kind of metal yes, that you yeah, gain yes. that you need to have that courage to go and bite off a little bit more than you can chew that everyone knows. Yeah. Oh, that motherfucker bit off more than he can chew, but look, he did it. And yeah. there's something everybody loves to have. You got it. You get that in your hand, it's undeniable. So yeah, I do believe it's just a natural inclination. I'm always trying, I'm trying to find new way, you know, in the running world, it's like, I'm I, I more or less now like a soul. Done everything. Yeah, like yeah. 
But I have all these, I have other equipment and other dreams connected to skateboarding and other things. I see all these other new, and so I'm, I'm using the same framework, like what you're describing now in yeah. your stage right now. But I do believe you're going to need to, it seems to me like it's just inevitable. You've got to, you've got to, you've got to get yourself in one way or another, find well, something that you can bite off and see if you can chew that thing down. Exactly. Well, when I, when I get around to doing it, I'll, uh, I'll make sure I um, just uh, get myself a pair of lunas before I do just in well, case. I'm, I need a, I'm never going to say no to that. I mean, that's we're working. I mean, and there's cool things we're always, I mean, I, exactly. one cool thing about being in the sandal world or footwear world is like being able to see down the road. Like there's always things that I would like, you know, in the end, it's all about like, I'm the chef yeah of the restaurant and it's like if it doesn't pass my, if i don't like it if it doesn't taste you know so same with sand, it's like if it doesn't if i don't like the feet i'm always always trying to find like that thing that becomes makes it a little bit more pleasant a little bit more enjoyable a little bit friendlier and yep. at the same time trying to keep the 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 grammar very basic like not yep. not add more that it's that's it's always so being able to create these objects that people use in one way to sort of like go ride their big waves uh dude i get so much positive karma coming my direction for being that that character yeah man. so i'm really stoked i mean i love hearing these stories of people getting ready to do so whatever it, and i mean it's a million things maybe i don't know what you you know if, if you go all the way around the coast of the uk lord have mercy that would be one hell of adventure but in the end almost anything you do in the uk like there's so many Back in the day, and Lloyd, the guy that I was talking, you know, that I'm talking yeah, about, yeah, this yeah. Guy, he was writing about running in the 1890s. He's speaking, yeah. he's got so many cool things he was writing about. I just translated or transcribed his. He wrote a essay of um, the test of parent power, and he was right. helping make an argument to uh, like young people. How can they know? There was like the debate back then was how can you know if you're fit enough to have a child? And he, he writes a whole thing, and he. He comes up with such a really interesting insight about like, like um, you and your partner, basically the sum total of his idea was you and your partner, the weakest being the leader will first of all, work up to the point where you can trot one half mile together without stopping. So they work up to being able to get to where they can trot one half mile together, a quarter mile in a quarter mile out without stopping. And then they do that together for 30 days in a row, basically. And he says, I can tell you with great certainty, you are fit <laughs> enough to be a parent. And Amazing. you know what? I started thinking about it. And, you know, he was writing all these. He was so on top of it. It wasn't about over. It wasn't. It was about finding just that right amount. That little and often. probably shows you. And time's not important. None yeah. Just being able to get into that state where it ultimately becomes as easy as if you're walking that kind of spot that our ancestors can get in that I, that you've got to be able to get in. If you want to go a long, long way, you're not running like a maniac. Yeah. You're finding a way to get into that zone where you're actually creating, you know, that you've heard of the runner's high. You've heard. Yeah. 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 This is a, this is a endogenous cannabinoid experience. Most people don't know that, but the euphoria you're getting from running, one of the euphorias you're getting from running, one of the little admixtures is, uh, called an, 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 an endogenous cannabinoid. So you're literally making cannabis in your body and it's attaching to a receptor and it's creating an antibody, the bliss molecule. So 
Lord have mercy, those yeah. steady states that you can get into that allow you to go quite far, very efficient, quietly. Yes. And that space is, I'm telling you, I that's where all my runs, I just try to get into that space and imagine this is where I want to always be. I want yeah, to yeah. be right here in this perfectly balanced between not too much exertion, not, not too, just the right amount of breathing, just the right amount of flow, just yeah. the right amount of movement. And building that, I think it's, it's like yoga, finding a way to, first of all, get into that position and then finding a way to hold it in a way, let's say that's less and less strain, less. And it's just starting to feel like, it's just like, I'm perfectly founded here. Yeah. I just love that. That's what, that's what I think you have to do. Well, I mean, that might be to a certain degree an answer for this last question. I always finish off of this last question and I try to tend to throw it on people so they have to suddenly think on the spot. But this podcast is called Move, Breathe, Live. So if you were to offer one piece of advice to whoever's listening uh, in which they can take away something from this chat and they can go and spend five minutes a day putting it into practice, what would that be? Damn, it's pretty easy. These days, I swear, I've got uh, my, my, I really take a lot of inspiration from that, that dude, the nature man, you know? Yeah, yeah. He, he literally just went off and, and lit, stripped off all his clothes, laid down and just like was basically like, fuck, I'm dying here. I'm going to die. Yeah. And in the process of just doing that, he, I swear, if people could find a way, I'm telling you right now, this is the best advice they'll ever have. Find a way every day, I mean, or nearly every day or as much as possible, where you are five minutes basically naked in the air with the sun on you. I mean, as close to naked as you can get for the yeah. season and the place, right? Don't be a moron or a creep. But nonetheless, I swear to God, man, five minutes of just standing on the earth in your bare feet, breathing with some sun on your face, even not moving. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, love I swear it. to God, it's like, I, I, I've been, my thing, I lately, I mean, I've had a sauna, I've had cold punches about all these things, and now I live at the beach and all the rest, but I have, I set up a thing where I can get in part of my house in the back corner where I can be, there's a certain time, the hottest part of the day, I go lay out butt ass naked for a <laughs> I swear to God, it's so... I couldn't believe it. I've never really ever done that. I'm not really, I, but I, you know, having all, I've been reading this. I'm like, okay, fuck it. I'm going to give this a shot. I swear to God, it's, it's ridiculously too good. I can see why it would be snuffed out too quickly. It's, it's such simple medicine, folks. Sunlight and air. And there you go, guys. There you we go. don't do it enough. We actually don't do it at all. We no. don't do it at all. Yet I'm telling you, it's a fundamental part of the human condition for so long and so much that the a hundred times other things that live on you, the substrate of you, you know, there's a hundred other microorganisms that are living yeah. in us. They need sunlight too, man. Yeah, man. Not just you, not there just you yourselves, but all those other good things actually like sunlight too. So don't fail to get at least a little bit of that every day would be barefoot Ted's advice right there. There you go, guys. Simple. Just get naked <laughs> and get outside. There you go. <laughs>
I mean, you know, all for it. But, you know, check your local laws and, and regulations, please. <laughs> exactly. Health, health and you security. Can't, you can't, Dial can't up health and security and just give them a little check-in before you go for it. Barefoot Ted takes no responsibility for your... That's right. Uh, That's right. Legal. Do not have your doctors writing me. I never said it. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for joining me. It's been an absolute uh, riot and a joy. And um, I feel there's so much that people can uh, can take away from this. So, um, yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for coming and joining me. You're welcome. Hey, look, I hope to in the future get some people from your side of the planet to come over and visit me in Santa Barbara, California. I'm developing all kinds of little... Now that COVID's more or less sort of a hopefully nipped in the bud and gone yeah. away for the time being, I definitely want to share some, I've got some retreat ideas. They're mm-hmm. just like, you know, about getting a cool people to come and assemble somewhere. And then what's yeah. nice about living on the ocean with mountains in the background is you can get a lot of great experiences in a short period of time on your own two feet. And I really want to do Sounds a lot incredible. more of that going into the future. Well, I mean, I'm in. Just hit me up. I'm there. I'm there. <laughs> right on. Dude. Right on. Right, well, well, thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Thanks. Totally it's awesome. been a pleasure. And we'll, uh, we'll maybe do it again sometime soon. Amen. Hallelujah.